Well, we did that just in time. <laughs> we only have part of our Dropbox back, so some of our promos are missing, but that will be fixed all in time here as soon as I switch computers. Welcome to Book Talk. Recording as, in progress. As we start here this Tuesday afternoon, we're joined by Jenny Sparks and Nolan Crabb and Perry, the producer, and myself, Bill Sparks. So we're here to facilitate the discussion of books, books, and more And for books. those who want to know, though, before we throw it to Jenny and Nolan, the podcast is up. We It took us a little bit of time, but it is up. It is so all fixed. It's there. If fixed now and say hello to iHeartRadio in just a few weeks and upgraded tune in in your own app that you'll be able to get in and listen to book talk from your iPad, your iPhone, or Android, or whatever. So we're growing here on the legend. So Nolan will give it to you this week. You take it away. All right. Well, good evening, everyone. It's a real pleasure to have you here. We've got a lot to do tonight, I think. And um, remember that August 8th is the night. August 8th is the night for our book club. Oh, not book club. That's ridiculous. Our uh, buddy read. And we've chosen an Andy Weir book. He spells that W-E-I-R. And I believe that book is Hail Mary. So we'll look forward to that. It's not often that we do a science fiction buddy read that can turn a lot of people off. I think in the case of Andy Weir, it shouldn't because he's a decent author. I haven't read this particular book. There may be a little rough language in it for some of you who uh, would prefer not to have to listen to that. I respect that. I actually stand with you wherever I can. Um, But I don't know that because I haven't read it yet. So uh, let's not approach it uh, um, too negatively until we have a better understanding. But that's August 8th. Uh, Hail Mary by by Andy Weir. Excuse me. I've been sick for months and I seem to be getting worse and they can't figure that out. So I apologize if that interferes. Um, A lot of books to go through tonight. I don't know what's on Jenny's plate, but uh, if you want, I can start first and uh, toss it to her and then we can toss it to listeners and or whatever we need to do. I see Sherry has joined us today. You know, that's right. (laughs) Pardon me. So if there's any leftover residual stuff that we want to talk about from the Haven discussion last week. Oh, that this got a lot last time. Yeah. You have the author right here. Let's do that first. That way, if Sherry is for any reason unable to stay for the entire proceeding, that we'll at least have the benefit of her um, her direct uh, answers and, and services uh, for, for a while. Any listeners have any questions based on their experience with the book? <clears throat> Just raise your hand, Alt-Y, or however you do it in Zoom. And, and uh, by the way, Sherry, I did hit your button. If you want to unmute uh, while we're talking about this, uh, feel free to do so. I have a whole bunch of questions. A lot of them focus on the process because I've never had the courage to try to write a book. I always thought I had the ability. Uh, how's that for a ego that should be uh, put in place? Uh, go ahead and take this great hand. Uh, let's go to Jimmy. Jimmy, go ahead and unmute. I think he might have been just wanting to record. I'm not sure. Jerry, no, I didn't. Um, Jerry, that's a good book. That's a good book. No, that you do it. You do another one. Okay. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I really appreciate that. As far as, did you ask if there's another one coming? There is another one coming, but it's not finished yet. I just want to tell you, Sherry, I think it was a fantastic book, and I 
the lady that you picked to read the uh, the version on audible was fantastic i she the parts some of the parts with the little with Rosie and some of those things, I cried and I and I usually don't get that emotional in a book, but that lady was wonderful. Thank you, Jenny. And you're right. She's a fantastic narrator. I loved working with her. I, I must have listened to two dozen auditions before she came. I had to up my cost. I was willing to pay. Oh, but, no. <laughs> um, she was well worth it. I wanted someone that could read a man, a woman, and children without being, you know, squeaky voice for the children or anything like that. She got all three elements of the characters just right. She was uh, just perfect. <laughs> Randy, come on in. Hi, everybody. Sherry, I hope she reads the second book because she, I have to agree. I read the Bard version because at the time I didn't have any audible credits, but when I got my yearly credits, I hurried up and bought the audible one because I just, I had to read that one. There were so many scenes that just the, the bard version fell flat for me. And I thought, no, I have to hear some of these scenes the way I really think they should be read. And they were read just the way I thought they should be. Like the scene in the church when they had the meeting and Elizabeth gave them all hell, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which was one of my favorites. One of the many scenes I would found as a favorite. So, And she read that just the way I thought. And then the courtroom scene with the judge. And it, it was she was just perfect. So I really hope she reads the next one. If I but, have anything to do with it, she will. So, <laughs> and I do have everything as well. She has to be still reading what she is. So, he's read um, quite a few books on Audible. How how does that work, Sherry? Do you get one hundred percent like veto power, if you if you will, on on the narrator? Oh, totally. So, what you do, you go to acx.com. That's Alpha Charlie X-Ray, which is Audible's site for getting your book up there on Audible.com. And first, you have to pick some things like what region you want it to be, and you have to pick if you want a man or a woman or even a child to read it, or if you want multiple readers, which I did not. And then you get to pick the type of voice you want, and there's a really long list of, book, of narrators, type, vocal style. So everything from ingenue to rough to sexy to... Oh, I don't know. You name a vocal style and they got it. And I picked versatile for the very fact I mentioned a few minutes ago that I wanted someone who could read all types of characters. And you can, you know, have people want an accent, anything like that. And then you have to write a synopsis of the book, which I had because I had the uh, summary, the book jacket info. And then you have to come up with a three page sample. So I had to kind of cut the cut some scenes, cut part of the prologue, and then the first scene with Michael and Ethan, so I could see how they read everything, and then you submit all that. Oh, you have to pick your price range. Audible has price ranges up there, and you have to pick your price range, and I knew I could not afford the really, really expensive price ranges where you get the Cassandra Campbells and Scott Bricks and people like that, but I picked one that I liked, and I got some really good auditions and some really bad auditions. I felt like I wasn't quite getting what I needed, so I upped it to the next level, 
and I kind of debated between two different readers and I went with Whitney and I'm really happy with that choice. Mm -hmm. And I would say doing that part of the publishing process was the most fun thing I did. Did you uh, also, somebody asked last week, no, I don't know if you had this on your thing to ask Nolan, but somebody mentioned it, it, that it was not on Bookshare. Could you, could you tell us why, if you know why it is not on Bookshare? <laughs> it's not on Bookshare because I contacted them and asked what the process is. I got the paperwork. And they sent me a link to give my permission on a DocuSign uh, thing. And I've used lots of DocuSigns. I've bought two houses and sold two houses with DocuSigns. I've done really complicated things on that. And I couldn't fill out the form. Okay. So that's why it's not there. Someday I will go back to them and say, okay, let's try this again. Because <laughs> I do no, want to Oh, sorry, go ahead. Because I do want it to be available everywhere that people might want to read. Gil, go ahead. Hi, Cher. I am Gil in St. Louis. And, uh, I, my favorite genre is romance, and I'm so anxious this book. And uh, as you may have figured out from all my emails, trying to get it on hard, but uh, uh, the, uh, it, it, being a 16-hour-plus book, uh, most of the romances I read aren't that long. And I thought, hmm, I wonder about it. But uh, time flew reading that book. It's just such a good book. And uh, so much Gracie. And uh, I, I am so glad I didn't let the link intimidate me. Because I'm really glad to stop me from reading because it is well, well, well worth it. That was one of the benefits of self-publishing because if you go by a traditional publisher, they have pretty strict word length guidelines for genre fiction. And though Haven wasn't a whole lot longer, it was longer than traditional publishing word requirement mm -hmm. for a romance. But I felt like, I mean, I cut enough out of it. I felt like what was left was needed to be there because it was just, it was more than a romance. There was more to it, I felt. And so self-publishing really true. worked for me. So I really, I'm so glad I knew you like to read a lot of romances. So it really means a lot that you enjoyed it. I'm we uh, really look forward to the next and we have Connie with her hand. Well, before, before we do that, I thought Randy may have had one last question. I thought I could sense a little yeah. favorable tension okay. from her before we yeah. let her have a let her have a shot here. Go ahead. Um, you talked about the audible process. Did you have any say or what was the process like getting it on board? I'm, I was still living in Colorado. <clears throat> so I didn't really know where to go to find out how to get it on BARD. So I reached out to the Colorado Talking Book Library and they got back to me and they looked at the synopsis of the book and probably read a sample on Amazon and read the reviews. And they asked me to send them two print books. They said that since it takes place in Colorado and it's a, a blind main character, a blind author, and the author was living in Colorado at the time, that they would record it. So I sent them two physical books. And kind of, I had no say in who recorded it at all. So I didn't, I didn't have any idea until the book hit Bard who they picked or what she sounded like. And I haven't listened to it. I listened to the beginning to make sure she pronounced my last name right. And uh, then I haven't listened to more of it. Okay. Interesting. Connie, okay. come on in. I just, I just want to say that I really enjoyed the book. I really got into it. <clears throat> I was telling last week when, when, um, we reviewed the book that I found I found myself yelling at some of the characters. <laughs> so yeah. it was a good thing I was by myself when I was reading the book. That's good. I like that reaction. 
And I guess my question is, is it fair of me to ask, is, is this uh, going to be a sequel? It will be a sequel, but not with Michael and Elizabeth. Okay. So it'll take place in Haven Valley, and we'll see them. They'll make cameos here and there, but it's different main characters because okay. they felt like Michael and Elizabeth had gone as far as their story needed to go. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I just want to thank you for writing such a great book. I haven't gotten to a book like that for a long time. <laughs> thank you so much. So do we have any other hands up? I don't think we do. Right? We I've got one do quick not. question. We don't. Go ahead, Bill. This is just a quick one, Sherry. I'm Bill Sparks. Um, does it, what is the length of the process? How long does it, A, take you to write a book? And would you say, self-writing or publishing, is it profitable? And I know we do these things and I do the legend, not because I'm trying to make a ton of money because we don't. We probably lose a ton load of money, but you do it for the love of just probably doing it. And I don't mean to be intrusive or anything like that, but is it, you know, the the length of the process from the start to the be, to the end of, you know, getting the book published? How lengthy a process is that? Well, first of all, I'll reassure you that writing and publishing a book isn't super profitable <laughs> unless you become a you know million million selling bestseller. Um, but though, yes, I'd like to make money at my writing, and I appreciate all those who you know buy the Audible or paperback or Kindle book. I'm not going to earn my living with that money. My reason to write is because I must write. It's a compulsion. It's a need. It's something I've done since I learned how to write. So it, it's my passion. As far as the length, it really depends. I think I started Haven. Haven was published in 2021. In fact, we had our two-year anniversary last Saturday. And I started it a couple years before that. And I finished it about a year before it got published. And at the time, I have a really good friend who is cited, and we've written together. We both wrote fan fiction. We became very good friends. She writes just about disability issues because her mom and her son are disabled, not blind, but other disabilities. And um, she told me about a program called Story for Us that was initially supposed to be a group of some pretty high-powered people in New York involved in publishing, advertising, marketing, that kind of thing. And they wanted to put together, first of all, a collection of stories by disabled authors and then help specially chosen authors get their book published. So I submitted the prologue to Haven for that and I was accepted. They never did come up with a compilation, at least not yet, but I was one of about five authors that they did help get published. And the way they helped, they helped me set it up on Amazon, kind of a complicated process. And they helped me get a cover design and uh, they edited it, all kinds of things that they helped me do. So it was really good to have some sided help with the technical aspect, especially the cover design, which is really important and not something I'm very good at. So I'd say from the time I started writing Haven to the time I got actually published was about three years. But I don't know that whenever I finish this second book, I don't think it'll take that long because I'm not part of, you know, that program doesn't exist anymore. So I have a handle on getting self-published. I will go that route again. Well, thank you and very, very good. And we're honored that you're here today. And anytime you need promoting, 
We'll take my two listeners and we'll <laughs> give you all you got. You yeah, know? promotion yeah. is really important. No. We changed some categories on Amazon because there there isn't a disability romance category in Amazon under romance. There's a lot of subcategories, but disability romance isn't there. But we found in general fiction disability and own voices, which is a new thing. And um, so my friend and I did a little switching. It's still under romance, but it's also under disability fiction and own voices. And my Amazon ranking went up quite a bit, but it's still not under 100. I'm trying to get enough reviews to get it under 100 because then Amazon will promote it. Very cool. Yep, yeah. Don, Very good. With his, so Don, go ahead. Okay, I loved the book, and I did not anticipate that I would necessarily love it because it isn't usually what I read. I think that writing something about your process, maybe a blog post, maybe for a career connect or or some other, I mean, I'm on their advisory board, so it's on my head. But I think a lot of people get the idea, because I've worked with authors over the years at work, you know, I've been been in my job 33 years as a rehab counselor. And I think people kind of get the idea that, well, I'll still keep writing, but I'm not going to be able to do it at the level that I did it at before I lost vision. And I think getting that information out is really an important thing to do. The other thing that really struck me and I was really happy about was that there was a there was a thought about discussions about values in the book without being judgmental, but with a little bit of complexity. Um, I thought that was really refreshing because a lot of what's on television or whatever promotes a particular set of beliefs or a set of values and like the idea of like waiting for sex till after marriage and, and would would she honor that and I think the fact that there was mention of that without it being judgmental or preachy I think that's very refreshing so that people know that they can look at that because I think when people see it in a book it sort of in a way gives someone permission to think in different directions that they may hide from themselves until they read it so that was very very refreshing. Thank you, John. And if you um, can think of any place that I could give a blog post to, because I'd love to write about it, um, let me know. You know how to reach me. As far as the values and stuff, I I really, it was important to me. Number one, I didn't set out to write a Christian romance. It's just that when Michael Kelly appeared in my head, he was a pastor and he would not let me change him. And if you talk to authors, we do say weird things like that, like our characters decide what to do. and I tried a couple times to change him because I was so afraid that if it looked like Christian fiction, non-Christian people wouldn't read it. And Michael just was a pastor and a pastor he remained. So I had to deal with that aspect of it. And <laughs> I, I've grown up in that environment, you know, I've lived in that environment, so I'm very familiar with it. But I absolutely didn't want it to be preachy because I've read Christian fiction that is very preachy. And I wanted people who aren't religious or spiritual in any way to be able to enjoy it without feeling like I was trying to beat them over the head. At the same time, I absolutely hate, hate, hate writing sex scenes. So I didn't want them to have any premarital sex because I didn't want to have to write it. Good for you. Good for you. I think we're caught up on the hand now. You mentioned these characters basically appear to you and say, you're going to create us, but under our terms. How does that work? Is that a... (laughs) It, that's really common. I have heard other authors say that, as a matter of fact, that these people get in their heads, quote unquote, and just really um, 
almost dictate <laughs> the nature of who they are and how they're going to behave. It, you found that with all of them, or was it just Michael specifically? Michael was very specifically. Okay. Elizabeth was more, I knew that I knew what her crisis was going to be. I knew she was going to have the custody issue. Mm -hmm. But her personality, her actual, her job, her personality, everything about her was not fully formed until I started writing her. Mm -hmm. One thing I do before I sit down to write anything with characters is I think about them and I start, I write, I have a document on my computer with questions. Who are they? What do they look like? How old are they? What is their job? Do they like to eat this kind of food or that kind of food? Do they watch TV? Do they like movies? Do they like music? What kind of movies? What kind of music? Do they have a favorite color? Do they have a spiritual outlook? What is their family like? What kind of sense of humor do they have? I write all this out and then start thinking about characters. You know, do they play music? One of my characters in the new book plays guitar and loves, you know, going to small music shops and looking at guitars kind of thing. So some of that I work out as I go, but some of it is really solid from the time I meet them when they first come to mind. And for the ones that work at, you know, it comes along as I write, it's because I get to know them better as I write about them. And let's talk for a minute about the process itself is are there places that are conducive to writing are there do you do you uh, fly to paris and sit in a cafe and uh <laughs> i wish yeah, yeah of course i, I know better than that, that. but I is it do a, that since I was 13. <laughs> yeah right is it a is it a is it a, a secluded mountain cabin type of environment that make that makes it work uh, work well or, or the heart of the urban it. area what where do you do I, the writing i do it at home but i need it to be quiet and okay. even music, I have to have instrumental music because I love music and I love to sing along. And so if I'm <laughs> listening to my favorite songs with lyrics in them, I'll stop focusing on the work on the work and I'll start singing along. Yep. So yep. I have to I have an extensive instrumental collection just because of that. So no Beatles and no Broadway tunes while we're writing. And that's really hard for me. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Because <laughs> I love yeah. all that. Now yeah. with the new book. I am playing some romantic music with lyric, but it's pretty specific. Like it's because of these characters, it's music like Dean Martin, Frank mm -hmm. Sinatra, mm -hmm. kind of that era. Okay. Because they're older characters and they kind of bridge the gap of, you know, that sort of music. Their parents listened to that, so they grew up with it. But mm -hmm. they also grew up maybe around the time I did with the 60s with the Beatles. So they kind of have a wider range of musical taste. And because of the way the book, the idea for the book came into my mind when I was listening to a song by Dean Martin and the idea for the book popped into my head. So there's more of that kind of music that I listen to while I'm writing to keep me in that zone. And then, yeah, okay. And obviously people with kids claim they really do best early morning or late, late at night after the, the curtain climbers are in the sack, as it were. <laughs> yeah. You're not worried about that, but are, is there a time in which you really think the writing flows best? Well, it's best for me in the morning. Okay. I am a morning person. Okay. If I try to start writing, like say this time of the day, I, I just don't have it. The muse okay. is not speaking to me at that time of day, and I absolutely can't write at night. Interesting. Yeah. Have to be in the morning. Like usually, I would write to you know my morning routine would be to get up and take care of my dog, have some coffee, and go take a shower because I have you know a physical thing that I'm pretty stiff when I first get up, so I go take a shower after my body's awake. 
And then I sit down with a second cup of coffee and play with my dog for a minute. And then I sit down and open up the Word doc and start working. And I can usually maybe write from eight or nine in the morning to about one. And then I stop. That's fascinating to me. This is really good information. And it's good information for anybody uh, who harbors even slight hopes of, of writing. This is valuable stuff. Do you ever go ahead? I heard the best piece of advice just the other day. I listened to a a thing that Writer's Digest put out and the speaker was an off published author. In fact, one of his books was on Bard. And uh, his topic was what I wish I'd known before I got published. And eventually every independent author should want to go to traditional publishing, but I'll talk about that later if you're interested. But um, he said that you should treat your writing like your job. You should give yourself a schedule and you should commit to that schedule like you do for a regular job. So I'm retired from my regular job now, but it's really like that I did write more regularly when I was working because I had a specific schedule so I sat down over the weekend to figure out what is my work schedule what days will I work what days will I take off how many hours a day and so I found that one of the most useful writing advice things I've ever gotten just for scheduling my time what do you do when the discouragement takes hold? And it it, it has to at some yes. point. There, there's that blank word document that seems intimidating and it stares at you. And how do you how do you push it, kick it the curb, as it were? So I have have had that situation in the in the current book um, because a lot of things happened last year. My best friend was coming home from dinner one night, and he and his guide dog were hit by a car, and he was seriously injured. His dog was okay, but he has lifelong injury from that. And then I also moved back to California to live near family. So I had a lot of big changes and I found that I just couldn't write. And I was on this one chapter and I started it, just I started it once and I read it back like, no, I don't like that chapter, that's dumb. And so a couple of weeks later, I started it again. No, I don't like that, this is crap. I don't wanna write like this. I wouldn't let anybody else read this nonsense. So finally, maybe six months ago, I sat down with it and wrote something and then I left it for a while because I still didn't think I like it, but I didn't delete it. And just a few weeks ago, I went back and read it again. I thought, oh wait, this is good. I can work with this. This is actually really good. So sometimes for me, it's walking away and, and leaving it because I get hung up on this isn't any good. I get imposter syndrome, you know, good, can't do it. It's dumb, you know? And sometimes for me, I just have to walk away and get my head in a better space. Do you outline prior to the writing process or are you one of those folks who just sits pantser. down and fills out? I'm a pantser. I don't outline. I usually know where I want to start, where I want to end, and a couple major things in the middle. And I do have, I write what be the word, in a linear fashion. In other words, because I was stuck on chapter whatever it is, chapter 15 or 16, I can't jump ahead and write something in the future. I have to finish that chapter first. But I start with the beginning, chapter one or a prologue, and I just start writing, and that just takes me where I want to go. Do you catch yourself keeping a note-taking device near the pillow somewhere <laughs> so that if you wake up in the night and, and Michael has done something idea. particularly amazing, you can quickly get that captured, or do you, does Absolutely. that not happen? Well, my Victor stream is always with me at night. so. I grab it and hit the record button and record a note. If I'm, I have a ton in my 
folder, I keep a folder for each thing I'm writing. So the next book is called Fascination. So in my Fascination folder, I probably have two dozen note files, you know, notes about this chapter, notes about this person at this point in the story, you know, a good scene for this airtime in the story, just things that come into my mind I write down. And sometimes if I don't think it'll fit what I'm working on, but it's an idea, I'll write it down and put it in my overall writing folder under ideas for the future. This really is a job then. Do you think yes. that research is harder for a totally blind author to, to do than for anyone else? Or would you say that things are these days yeah. such that, that research probably isn't as intimidating as some may seem, may think it is? I think it's hard, personally. I don't like research. I, I get, if I'm really interested, I do. Of course, I, I like the research I did for Haven. But I'm not writing a historical fiction novel about the 1200s because I don't want to do that research. And for that research, I'm not sure how good it would be because sighted people have access to books and things that will never be available to us. I would think it would be harder. In many so ways. I think it would be harder if you're doing something that needs a lot of deep, intense research. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Did you do any courtroom type research for this or ask questions of, of, of attorney type people? Or yeah. did that just flow? How did that work? Uh, it was a little of both. Some of it just flowed. Some of it was from people I knew personally, not who'd gone through what Elizabeth did, but had gone through child custody things and court. I also read a lot of articles about blind and other disability parents who had their children and their custody taken away because of their disabilities and read how those things were resolved in court. So I, I did talk to people I know and then also did, you know, more background searching on that. If you and you do have now the opportunity to give listeners one piece of advice, what would you tell them Any about anything? Just one piece of advice. I'm going to leave it open-ended. All right. Well, I'm going to give you some advice about writing. If you want to do it, if you think you can do it, do it. But you got to sit down and do it. And it doesn't matter if what you write at first is good, just do it. Because it never gets written if you don't sit down, grab your keyboard, and start going. How did you avoid what I see as a trap that a lot of blind uh, self-published authors fall into of hiring editors who work for cheap, but then deliver a schlock product. You seem to have avoided that trap entirely. What, what was your, what was the magic? Well, okay. So some people find this embarrassing in their history, but I don't. I've read and I've written fan fiction for many years. And in fan fiction, and at least one genre of fan fiction that I got into, you get to know some amazing people. And I met some people through that process who were fantastic editors. A couple of them work for a publishing house that used to exist that doesn't anymore. And I've read things that they edited and I saw their work. And so I was able to work with somebody I knew and trusted. And I also had the benefit of the people who helped me with the publishing, looked it over and, you know, helped me with typos or, you know, editing ideas. If there are any plot inconsistencies, any holes, anything like that. So you really have to, you've got to be careful when you hire an editor because a lot of them are out there just to make a buck, a freelance editor, and they're horrible, but some of them can be good. Yes. So it'd be good to, you know, have them recommend things they've edited. Mm -hmm. So you absolutely. get an idea how, how good they are because an editor, absolutely, people cannot say, I'm just going to publish this. I don't need an editor. I don't care how good you are. And I'm a good writer. I've always been a good writer. I needed an editor. 
Yeah. Some, and, some of the best journalism I ever did was done after some other editor had seen the work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you have to it. have an editor. Yeah, you really, and you learn so much from them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I even now look at Haven, you know, and I started reading it and cutting things here and there for the sample for Whitney. I thought, ooh. <laughs> I could have maybe worded that differently. And that was after editing, you know, but yep. I am my most difficult critic. So at some point you have to say it's published. It's done. Yeah, that, that's what I did. It's published. Mm -hmm. It's done. That's mm -hmm. it. You're not changing yep. it now. Let's had, bring on uh, Gil again. Hey, Gil, okay. go ahead. Sure. Okay. Uh, if I heard right, said the title of the next book, Fascinate, is that based on song title? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, I've been a musician all my life and, uh, uh, I, he really got me intrigued now for the next book. Because, uh, I, I like that era of music with Dean Martin and uh, uh, Frank Sinatra and all that. And, uh, huge fan. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, that the, book now. The two Dean Martin songs that brought the idea. So none of my characters came fully formed with this one, but the basic setting and plot of the book came fully formed. And it was from listening to Dean Martin, An Evening in Roma, and once upon a time it happened. And no, it doesn't take place in Italy, but those songs brought the whole the place, the setting, which is really important, and the basic plot of the book to life in one evening. Thanks for sharing. You bet. Randy, go ahead. <clears throat> um I can't wait to read the second book. And when I finished this one, I started trying to figure out who the second book was gonna be about because I figured it would be Michael and Elizabeth again, because, you know, I, I had a feeling they would be in the next one. So in my mind, I've been going through some of the other characters in Haven Valley. And it's nobody you've met yet. Oh, okay. Well, you haven't met them yet, but you're going to oh. love them. Well, I honestly think Fascination is the best thing I've ever written. I've learned a lot from doing Haven, and I think Fascination is even better. I wow. thought maybe Susan was going to come back. No way. We haven't seen her again. I was hoping she was done. She's gone. <laughs> No, well, no, and no season. Well, that's good. Is Haven available in large print? Somebody asked me about that. She said she didn't see it in large print anywhere, and she was just wondering if it was. I don't think it is, and I don't know how to get that done. So okay. I don't think it is. I, I don't know if that wasn't an option for Amazon to have. Uh -huh. And I know I think the font is 14, but that wasn't an option to have it public in large print. Okay, I was just curious, just asking for my friend. Well, I'm really looking forward to Fascination. I love that title. Me too. And, and I read a thing, I read a thing looking. a few months ago where somebody giving writing advice, a blog I follow, said that for one single word titles are a mark of a, a first-time writer. And I'm like, but I mm. like single word titles. You know, like they said that like it was a bad thing. Like, well, I've read a lot of one-word title books, so... I'm not having a problem with it and not changing my style. Well, good. I also like to write, but I've never had the guts to self-publish. And my family keeps telling me that I should. I just haven't figured out how or when or where to start. So, Well, you know, do what, what Maria Von Trapp said. Start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. True. Like I said earlier to Nolan, you just have to start if you're going to write. If you want to do it and you have the passion and the desire and you have to think you have the skill, you just have to sit down and do it. Okay. 
Well, looking forward to having you on in September in my book Thank club. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Any other additional questions? I, I think I've exhausted pretty well my... We do not have any hand right now. My supply. All right. Thank so, you, guys. Thanks for being part of this. It made, a, it made it a, a huge night. It's really wonderful to have you back. And like my friend Don, I didn't expect to like the book. I won't lie about that. I just, okay, we're going to do this, buddy, Read. You need to have read the book. It's your podcast with Jenny. You can't show up and say, well, I really didn't read this. <laughs> so it was one of those, okay, here we go. Breathe deep. Let go. Plunge in. And my goodness, it took, I don't know, less than a paragraph before I was just thoroughly involved in it. And I'm grateful that I found the time and the ability to read it. It was well worth it. So I appreciate that. You know, when I knew uh, Whitney was my narrator, I told you the sample had part of the courtroom scene at the beginning. And I have a line where the judge gets, makes his decision and gives custody to Nico. And Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. Elizabeth's moan was a breath of sound. And Whitney did that just the way I heard it yeah. in my head. Yeah, I'll bet. Absolutely, because other people did it as a whipper, but that wasn't right. And other people just said it at normal volume, uh -huh. and that wasn't right. Or other people made it really emotional. No, no, no. Oh, God. And I thought I was listening to Singing in the Rain or something. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yes, that's a good part there. Do you, did you find yourself actually creating a certain kind of rapport or friendship with her? Yes. Or was this an all business thing? Let's get this done. I'm paying you only X number of dollars. We only have X amount of time. What no, was that? that was, we really developed a rapport. We emailed back and forth about it. Um, we now, we have since then followed each other on Facebook, on Twitter. We keep in touch. It's not like we're about buds or anything like that. But we did develop a rapport. I felt like she wanted to understand me and more important, understand the book and the characters. If she had questions, she asked me, you know, she she was great to work with. Absolutely great. That would be fascinating to know more about her background and how she got into that whole audiobook arena. That was uh she just did a great job with it. Well, she lives in, I think it's Michigan, and she is a stage actress. She does plays and musicals there. And so somehow in that process, she got into voice acting. She and her husband have a, a whole studio in their home that they built for her to be able to do her voice acting work. So she's, she's done quite a few other books. She has a, I can't remember it now, but she records under two names for Audible. It's the Whitney Dykehouse name. And then there's something else, Lori something she re records under too. Oh, excellent. Well, this has been great fun. I'm I'm grateful you were willing to take the time to, to spend with us and entertain these questions. It's been really helpful. Well, I was I glad to do it. Really anybody who wants it. to get into the writing process now has a better understanding of the path. And you're right. It just takes consistency and getting started. Sit down and write for however long you can, an hour a day, five hours a day, but write every day. And yeah. uh, eventually that blank document gets pretty full. So once you start, if you have the bug, you've got the writing bug, once you start, starting is the hardest thing. Well, actually ending is the hardest for me. I'd hate to write the last page, but starting is really hard. And I think it is for any seasoned author starting on a new project. But once you start and you type the first few words, if you've got that bug, it'll just go from there. You know, it's funny. My primary care physician says the same thing about my exercise program. No one, if you just start, if you please just start, it would get easier. I have more faith in my writing advice than your doctor's advice. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do too at this point. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your time. This has been really enlightening for all of us, I think. Thank you guys very much.
It was fun for me, too. Well, Nolan, you never know how the show's going to go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, I came in here with an armload of books and a little fear that some of them are a lot similar and chastening myself. Nolan, you got to read different stuff. You really got to branch out. You're just, yeah. So she saved me from myself tonight, which is a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's always, it could always be used next week, too. Speaking oh, it of, will, trust me. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of those reviews, it's about time for one, Nolan. If you're up to you it. You want me to go first? Well, we'll let you this time. How about that? Okay. All right. Why not? That way we'll have everybody almost sound asleep here. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> okay. I want to talk about a book by a woman named Heather Weber. Uh, Heather S. Weber. W-E-B-B-E-R. Her book is called South of the Buttonwood Tree. And I'm not sure who recommended this to me. I read it on Audible first or perhaps on um, Libby. I don't remember. But I read it back in March of 2021. If you want to order this from the library, it's DB112517. Again, 112517. Um, hard to talk to you about this book because it's it was so rich in its uh, tapestry and its, uh, its weavings, if you will. It's really hard to condense it. Um, she is an immensely talented author, and I really enjoyed her, her work. So the main character here is Blue Bishop, and Blue writes and illustrates kids' books. Her her character is so vivid based on the author's work that I really imagined myself being a, a small blind child listening to her read this out loud. And she wrote books about a magical rabbit who could find things. And I thought, oh, what a great set of books that would have been for a little kid. Um, she had that Alabama accent, and it was a voice that would have been simultaneously youthful and mature. Um, exuberant when you needed to be and sad when the story was sad. So in other words, that was a, a she was uh, an impressive character. She and her sister live in a small Alabama town as the book opens. They grew up there. And the family is known for getting in trouble. It's known for bad luck. It's just not a, it's just not a great family. Or maybe not. As you read deeper into this, uh, you begin to change your opinion. There's a sycamore tree on a trail that curves around the community which the town people call a buttonwood tree. It has wonderful folktales associated with it, and it has the ability to dispense advice in the form of little wooden buttons with words on it. Those who sought the tree's counsel and ignored it would be cursed for sure. If you, if you sought the counsel of the tree and it, and it shed some of its little seeds or buttons, and those buttons had words on it for you and you followed that advice, you were very much blessed by doing so. Now, we all know this is sort of silly. Tree isn't going to do that. And yet, so well done is this author's work that she almost make, pretty much makes you believe that that tree has the, pardon me, the potential to, uh, to help you with that. Sarah Grace is a young woman who lives in the same town. They were school contemporaries, Blue and Sarah. Sarah is part of the uh, glitterati of the town. She's one of the charmed ones. And um, her dad's the mayor. He wants to be governor. Mom wants to make sure Sarah Grace lives the charmed life so that she marries well and so that nobody compare her to those substandard bishop girls uh, across town. It's not acceptable. The, here's the trick. The thing is, Blue is really good at finding stuff. She can hunt down lost watches, lost wallets. There's just something in her, in her makeup that allows her to do that. What she can't find is peace. And what she wants most is a baby she can raise and love. Um she finds an abandoned baby next to that um, sort of magical tree. 
that I described earlier. <clears throat> As she can't find the child parent, the search unearthed one secret after another in the town that alters the community big time. Blue, Sarah Grace, and her sister are particularly involved. That's probably more than enough on this because I, I don't want to give away stuff that would be would cause you to read it. The, the writing is lyrical. It's not quite poetry, but it's, it, it gets close. It's really beautiful. Um, she's very, the character Blue is really vivid, and you'll come to kind of see her as a friend, I think. Um, he, he, she and a new and the bookshop owner have feelings for one another, and you almost want to take him aside and say, please be kind to her because that's what she needs right now in her life. Don't, don't do stupid things that will cause her hurt or injury. A um, lot of good stuff in here. And again, it's called, um, it's called um, South of the Buttonwood Tree, sorry, DB112517. Again, the author is Heather S. Weber with two Bs. And um, it's, I really enjoyed the book. That's all I can say. I, I hope you'll download it and give it a try. Sounds like a good book. It actually is. I was surprised. You well, got something know. for us? Um, I have one. I don't know if we'll have time. Um, but this one that I wanted to um, talk about is, I know probably everybody's probably read this at one time. They made movies from it. But it's um, The Hunger Games, the first one by Suzanne Collins. And it is young adult science fiction. It's for junior high and senior readers. But you can definitely read it as an adult because if you read the whole series, it gets pretty dark and and it's kind of violent. But in, in this is about a place called Panem that is like the future, way off in the future, North America. And they have, the country is divided into 12 districts. And some of the districts are poor and some of them are, you know, wealthier. And for the entertainment of the people of the country, each year they have games that are played for the to the death basically and they each and they have a lottery and a boy and a girl in their early teens like from 12 to 18 or something like that i forget what the what the the beginning age is but in and they they have a lottery and they draw a teen boy and a teen girl well this particular year for District 12, Katniss Everdeen, her sister, gets drawn in the lottery, but her sister's only like 13. And Katniss decides that she's going to take her place because her sister's way too young and she wants to give her a chance to live and, and have a life. And she's always been the protected one. So, and this is about how her and this young other, the boy, Peta, survive in the hunger games and the the trials and things they go through and and there's they they end up liking each other so they decide that they're both going to survive and and that really shakes things up and it was this i think was the best of the three books the other the other two books are uh, mocking jay and catching fire but this one I think was the best of the three, and it's it's the hunt. It's just called the Hunger Games, and it's by Suzanne Collins. And the if you want to order it from Bard, the uh, Braille is BR one eight four eight eight, and in audio it's DB six eight three eight four. 
Very cool. Not something I would usually read, but the way they're written, you end up reading all three of them. Looks like we're almost I, out of time, doesn't it? Yeah, we are. We're down to the final seconds here. I, right. I remember reading that book on a Saturday on which my old alma mater, BYU, played Tulane. <laughs> oh, and I would normally you. never, ever have walked away from that BYU game. And that particular Saturday, I could not care less about who won or who didn't. And uh, it was that powerful. It had that kind of an impact on me. So I do vividly remember my first encounter with that book. I remember so. trying to watch the movie later on, and I had no... I think I tried watching the movie first, and I had no earthly idea. Yeah. It wasn't described or anything, and I thought, Oh, ah, dear, that would be awful. Yeah. I have to read it. So I read, I, read, I read all three of them, but I... Yes, yeah, they were... I've not read the final, the fourth, the sequel, Mr. Snow, whatever that one is. No, I haven't read Birds that and one. Snakes, isn't that the name that, of it? Yeah, Birds yeah. and Snakes. I haven't read that either. I've not either. But and it's I, got I, such bad reviews from so many circles, I don't know that I want to. So <laughs> we'll see. All right, I'm showing 6 o'clock. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate your being here. And we'll podcast, do it all next week. Podcast will be up in a few hours, so no podcast trouble this week. So we're good to go. So thank you so much. Recording stopped. Bye-bye.